Welcome to the Mind Meets Body podcast, a space dedicated to real health conversations with a dose of self-compassion, curiosity, and imperfection. Join me, Maria Sosa of Holistically Grace, as we take a deep dive into redefining and exploring health through the mind and body. We're back on the Mind Meets Body podcast, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Amanda White from Therapy for Women. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I'm excited to be here. Well, I would love for you to introduce yourself, define yourself, and let us know how you show up in this world. Yeah. So um, like uh, you said, you know, I have an Instagram account that's called Therapy for Women and I am a therapist, a licensed therapist, a yoga teacher. Um, I'm also um, sober and in recovery from an addiction and an eating disorder. And I have a private practice in Philadelphia that serves um, women primarily with mental health issues, also with you know, addiction and eating disorders. And I'm really passionate about being here because um, I just really think the intersectionality of different pieces of wellness is so, so important. And I know that's what you guys talk about on this podcast. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> to be here and offer my perspective on it. Great. So you mentioned a little bit about your experience in terms of addiction, and it's something that you share about so openly and so vulnerable, and it's very empowering. So I would love for you to share that, your personal story with us. Absolutely. So um, yeah, so I feel like my story is, is kind of, um, I think a lot of us relate to growing up and feeling just for some reason like we didn't fit in or just feeling different growing up no matter you know, what that circumstance kind of was. Um, for myself, I moved a lot growing up. I went to like two different elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and that kind of led me to really feel like a chameleon and like I always needed to fit in. Um, and I was also a competitive figure skater. So there was also a lot of emphasis on how I looked and performance and things like that. And um, when I first, I was in high school and I remember first having alcohol and it felt really for me like friends in a bottle, like instant friends, instant connection. I had had anxiety and social anxiety for sure, though I don't know if I would have diagnosed myself with that. Um, but it just, I loved the way that I felt connected to people and I felt confident, like I could say the right thing. Um, and I ended up just continuing to drink throughout high school and college. Um, I didn't have really a problem with, with alcohol in college because, um, or sorry, in high school, because I was really focused on grades and I struggled with friends. So I didn't have a ton of opportunities to really like go out. And instead I really ended up developing an eating disorder. Um, I went to a boarding school and eating disorders were super rampant. And I'd always been someone who felt self-conscious about my body and um, like there was something wrong with me. And, um, you know, my eating disorder really became a way to cope with what was going on, feeling out of place um, and feeling like I could have control um, over my social life and stuff like that. And um, that just, you know, continued and drinking fit right in with that. And 
um, throughout college and, um, you know, as I still struggled with friends in college and I, I really struggled when a boyfriend had broken up with me in college and that really sent me into a really deep depression um, to the point where I was pretty suicidal at one point. Um, and I saw lots of therapists, but I really lied to all of the therapists that I saw. Um, and, you know, thankfully somehow I, I managed to graduate, um, though I don't know how sometimes. And um, by the time I graduated college, I didn't, I was terrified of getting a job. Um, so I decided to apply to grad school because I was just like, I'm terrified of getting a job. I'll just keep going to school and I'll like live at home and figure this out. And um, thankfully I had an amazing therapist who shared about her experience being sober. And she was the first therapist that I didn't lie to. And um, that was just a transformational experience for me. And I realized that maybe this is something I could do, but it was so important that, you know, I healed my issues. I had only identified really as having, I knew I had an eating disorder. That was pretty obvious to me, but um, I never really thought I had a problem with alcohol or drugs or anything like that because I could kind of stop when I wanted to and I could stop for periods of time. But every time I would get some time kind of in recovery from my eating disorder, drinking would kind of take me back out. And it got to the point where it was really clear to me that it didn't matter whether I was quote unquote an alcoholic or not, I couldn't have the life I wanted and I couldn't um, stay in recovery from my eating disorder, which I knew was so essential if I kept drinking. Um, so yeah, and that kind of changed everything for me. I've been sober and in my recovery from eating disorders for five and a half years now. And I've, I promised myself one time when I was in therapy that if, if I could figure this out and get to the other side of this, I would spend my life helping others do the same. And specifically, I think there's something so powerful about the intersection of eating disorders and alcohol use. And it's something that's not often talked about. And that's really why I created my practice because I wanted somewhere where those overlaps um, you know, one therapist could serve one person rather than someone having to see a bunch of different specialists. Oh, I love that. Especially something that stuck out to me was this idea of, I didn't meet the criteria, you know, of being an alcoholic, or I didn't yeah. meet the criteria for so many things. And yet, I was still struggling and I still had a problem. So I wonder how many of us are thinking the same way, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, because yeah. I can cut down on this, or I don't meet this criteria, but I'm definitely struggling and I'm not fully living my life just as you said yeah and I, rem I mean I remember telling my parents I was going to stop drinking and they were like what you don't I mean like they knew I had an eating disorder but they were very confused and shocked when I said that I was going to stop drinking and they didn't really understand why and I think that that shows so much in our culture you know like alcohol is just so embedded in our culture it's just so normalized that you know, someone someone once said, I think it was like Annie Grace who wrote an incredible book called The Snaked Bind. It's like the only legal drug that we um, have to, we have like a diagnosis if we don't take. Right, right. And then even, you know, within that, it's kind of almost encouraged in our culture to drink. Yeah. You know, there's so many ways. It's just like, we're going out for drinks and I need my wine to calm down and I yeah. need this to, you know, soothe myself or whatever it may be. But it is 
still a drug, right? We just don't view it that way and we don't define it that way in our culture. And then obviously we get to those deep, deep addictions. And then now, now we're gonna, now we're now we're gonna call you an alcoholic right. and now you're a mess, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting how we encourage it. And then once we become addicted, then now you're a problem. And now you're just like the worst thing in the world. Cause that's another thing, you know, with, with addicts, we're so unkind. Yes. Yes. There's so much morality tied up with substance use disorders and addiction and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I went to AA and AA was something that really served me for a while. But if you even just like look at some of the, the principles and stuff like that, it is very morally based. Like some of the steps are, you know, we do a moral inventory. We need, you know, and it's very tied in with this idea that we need to repent and we made mistakes, which I, I'm not like, I, I think it's an important thing to, you know, engage in self-reflection and look at yourself and take accountability. It can be a really empowering thing, um, you know, rather than, I mean, I remember I had made, of course, tons of mistakes and really harmed people. And there's so much freedom on the other side of facing people and taking accountability. But I think when we're coming from like a shame place of you have to do this, it just gets so internalized. And in my personal and professional experience, I mean, I think shame is a, you know, a cultural thing that we all deal with in general, but especially with addiction, I mean, most people who have addiction issues don't like themselves. <laughs> like most people with addiction issues already have tons and tons of shame and shame is actually part of what keeps the cycle of addiction alive. It's not something that's going to help someone break out of it. Yeah, definitely agree. And then also it kind of may also prevent us from seeking treatment, right? That, that shame is just like, I can't even share this shame with anybody else. I can't even put this into words because it is so shameful to be this addict. And then I also wonder how that affects treatment as well. What do you think? I mean, I think it completely stops people from getting help for sure. I think people don't want to even like really honestly sometimes look at their drinking patterns because there's this idea in our society that if you even want to look, if you even question your relationship with alcohol, that you're not normal and there's something like wrong with you. Um, and normal drinkers don't question their relationship with alcohol. Um, and I think it's a really healthy thing to always be questioning our relationship with everything mm -hmm. because that's part of being a human being and wanting to live our best life involves questioning things. Um, so I think that's a huge thing. I think like I had shared personally, I think people hide and lie to themselves and then lie to therapists because of all the shame. I think they're not honest with other people because of the shame. Um, I think they engage in self-sabotage because the shame is so difficult to deal with. So, I mean, in my book, shame really, there's like no positive outcome of shame. I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I'm just trying to think of myself and my drinking days and yeah. what that was like. And I remember alcohol. For you, it was that friendship, right? That friendship yeah. in a bottle. For me, it was imperfection. Mm -hmm. It was allowing myself to let loose. You know, I had this idea of who I was and everything needs to be perfect and everything needs to be well put together and don't mess up, don't make any mistakes. Be this perfect 
girl, perfect woman, woman. Yeah. And then (laughs) alcohol was like, oh, but I'm drunk so I can act this way or I'm drunk. So whatever I do doesn't count, you know? So any of the things that I may have wanted to do on a daily basis that I wouldn't allow myself, then alcohol became that excuse to be able to do them. Right. And that's also another thing to take into consideration. What does drinking provide for us? What is it an outlet for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a great question and an important thing. I think the answers are personal, but also like societal. And I think especially what I see with women is, you know, that um, the video that just came out from Girls, Girls. Was it Be be a Lady? Yes, the Be a Lady. Yes. I feel like that also really encompasses like drinking fits in with that too of women a lot of times have all of these contradictory messages and I feel like drinking can become a way of coping with that too because it's like don't you know you should be able to be outgoing and fit in with guys but don't drink too much and you should be able to work hard play hard like all of these contradicting things that we're told to do to fit in in society, I think alcohol can become a way of coping with that. Like we should be able to let loose, but we should also know our place and we should be able to have fun, but we should also get good grades and we should be outgoing and not be approved, but we also like, you know, shouldn't be like too promiscuous. All of these contradictions um, are really impossible to meet and alcohol can kind of be the way to soothe that contradiction, I feel like sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel it. I think that I didn't come to the conclusion, you know, out of nowhere. It was literally like, okay, I I don't feel good. All I feel on the weekends, I'm just recovering and not, I'm not living the life that I that I want to be living. And it kind of went through a long period of time where I was just detoxing and saying I'm not drinking for a while. And then it became really interesting how much I didn't need alcohol and how it had become a crutch for me and I didn't really need it. And just recently, not that recent ago, like a year ago, I read and I watched this um, documentary on this trend, which is called Sober Curious. And I kind of wanted to ask you about that and what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I love the trend. I think it's such, I like love the idea that you don't have to commit like one way or another. I'm just a really big believer in healing, in all of this, that um, looking at things from a gray perspective versus black and white is so helpful. I really think like black and white thinking breeds shame Mm -hmm. and kind of us versus them and you're either in or you're out and I think it can keep a lot of people out versus um, I like the idea that someone can choose their relationship with alcohol daily, weekly, monthly. I mean, I think everyone's different. And of course, um, you know, it doesn't always, it's not always the best idea for someone who has, you know, more serious consequences that have gone on in their life. And at the end of the day, alcohol is an addictive substance. So there is that component of um, the nature of it is the more you drink, the more you want to drink. Um, And it is like scientifically harder to moderate than to stop drinking just because it's like you get decision fatigue from doing it all the time. But I think it's, it's an important movement. It's an important portal into exploring whether you want to not drink 
even if it's, and I'm just a big believer in general of if we, if everyone in society drank less and we had healthier ideas and habits around drinking, I think it would make such a difference for mental health, for things that are happening on college campuses, um, for all kinds of, of stuff. So I'm a huge fan of that. And I am by no means, I like to think of myself as I'm like sober, but I'm very non-judgmental in that way. Cause I really am not out to convert anyone or be like, this is the only way I really believe in choice and giving people facts and then they get to choose for themselves. Yeah, and I think sober curious does that. It is that curiosity of, well, who am I with or who am I without this? Yeah alcohol, right? And what do I choose today? Do I choose yeah. to drink? Do I choose to be sober? And there's a lot of bars opening up, you know, that are <laughs> providing the whole aspect or the social interaction that comes along with drinking, but with non-alcoholic beverages. And I just thought, okay, that makes so much sense because a lot of the reasons why we drink, it's because it's cultural. It's part of our society to go out for drinks, to socialize and to use that as a, as a, as a way in. So what would happen if we're still socializing, we're still meeting that need of friendship of, you know, being out there, um, but without the alcohol. So. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's so exciting and so cool. Um, I love seeing all of the different things and options that are opening up and even just myself, like just in the past couple of years, the amount more restaurants I go to that have alcohol free, you know, mocktails and, um, you know, kombucha and stuff like that. Um, I think it's so exciting and it, it makes a difference. I think too, as, you know, as a sober person, part of what is still frustrating sometimes is when I go out, you know, to dinner is when you can only order like water or soda, there's sometimes still that, um, awkwardness with the waiter, you know, about like, are you going to order anything else? Um, which is also, of course, cultural and people should be able to order just water. But for myself, like there is something about being able to order a mocktail or, you know, a kombucha or something like that and, um, feel like, feel like, um, I don't know, just feel more like I'm enjoying the whole experience a little bit more. Yeah, completely agree. I think you mentioned somewhere, I don't know where I may have read it, but you yeah. met your husband after you became sober, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so walk me through that. Yeah. Kind of that whole sober. dating process. Yeah. Yeah. So I was already sober um, and I dated sober for a long time. And um, I also kind of had some of my own for sure anxious attachment issues that I needed to heal and work through, which was so helpful to do. Um, when I was sober, because that was, you know, unhealthy uh, dating behaviors was all tied up in with my drinking too. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time on apps. We were introduced by a mutual friend, but we first matched um, on a dating website on OkCupid. So, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was nice that we had mutual friends to like, you know, I felt safe and comfortable for sure. But um, you know, I had to navigate weird situations. The first time I start, when I first started doing it, I wasn't honest, which I don't recommend. I would kind of like pretend like I still drank because I would like order like a seltzer with like lime and stuff like that. Um, and it would cause awkward situations later. So I definitely recommend being honest on the first date or before you go. Because to me, it's like, 
if someone has an issue with someone not drinking, there's clearly something going on where drinking is really important to them and probably aren't a good match anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think it was like, even though it was hard, um, it was like a very empowering experience because I learned to be confident in myself and I really, the people I dated were people I really liked and connected with, not just people who I had fun with or people who I just drank with. And I think it made it really easy. I mean, I got very skilled at knowing pretty quickly into the dates, whether we were a match or not, because I wasn't tipsy. I wasn't drunk. I knew whether we had the same values um, or not. And I think, and when people heard that I didn't drink, they did more things. Like, I mean, my husband and I went ice skating for like our first date, but other people, you know, we went to like a bar that had a ski ball and just doing different things, I think made it easier to connect on dates and know what that experience was. So I'm a huge fan of, even if you do drink, limiting drinking early in dates so that you can really get to know someone without just, you know, sometimes alcohol can make you, you know, think that you're attracted and the spark with everybody. (laughs) I'm laughing because yes, like I just have so many memories. I'm flooded back to dates and alcohol and I'm like, ah, so many of this could have been avoided. (laughs) How did he respond to you not drinking? What was that like? Um, He was very supportive which obviously is why it worked out with us. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, like it was great because his dad is actually also a therapist. So um, he had understanding and background about that. Um, But it used to be something that I was so embarrassed about. And it used to be something that I used to be like, how could anyone ever be with me? And pretty like when we had started dating after a few dates and stuff like that, he actually told me that it was one of his, it was like his favorite thing about me. And to me, that was crazy that he thought that, but he was like, you're, you know, you've, because of this, you have such a good head on your shoulders. You know what you want. You are, you know, I don't have to worry about you doing other things. I feel connected to you in a really authentic way. And I think um, that all led to just the connection working really well and him being supportive. Yeah, I love that. But we don't always get that reaction. I know that you've shared this on your Instagram. People will say a lot of comments or make a lot of uncomfortable things that are said. And I'm kind of curious if you could share a little bit about that, the things that are said, and how can we also respond? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely agree that that people say things and often I think there is this, and I think it becomes with part of what you're talking about, Maria, with like us versus them. And I think sometimes people react out of feeling like you're going to try to convert them or you're against people drinking or you're judging them or something like that. Um, So whenever someone reacts to me in a negative way, to me, it's a pretty clear sign that there's something going on with them, whether they're insecure about their drinking, whether they're afraid of me judging them, whether um, they've had a negative experience with someone, you know, who didn't drink or something like that. I, I've done the work thankfully enough to be able to not personalize it, but in the beginning it can be really, really hard. Um, but I think trying to do things that, I mean, I think being honest up front is really helpful with dating. 
I think, so again, you don't have to like go on a date with someone and potentially be in an awkward situation with them where they, you know, I remember like one time I, I wasn't honest. And then I kept saying that I was like, I was driving and it was like really clear that I like lived close. So like, why would I drive? And like, I got caught up in this whole situation. So I really recommend just being authentic. You don't have to say you don't drink necessarily even, but I think just being like, I'm taking a break from drinking right now. I'm, you know, I'm not drinking on dates right now so I can connect with people or something like that. And if the person meets you with not being supportive or understanding, I think trying to remember that they probably weren't a good match for you. Um, and it's cool on some of the dating websites now, I know they like filter with like not drinking and stuff like that. So you can try to find other people who are connected with you. But I also think that, I mean, like I, you know, I have friends who will only date people who are sober and friends that won't. And um, from my experience, it's been great to find someone who has a different lifestyle than me, but we still have the same values and, and beliefs. What about friends or family members, you know, so outside yeah. of dating, kind of yeah. those comments that, that come through? Yes, I think those are even harder sometimes because at least with dating, you can kind of end things. I mean, of course, unless you're like already, let's say you're married or already dating someone that would be a similar situation to this. I mean, my parents really didn't understand and they were very confused and they were, their first response was like, you're not an alcoholic. Um, which I think is a common response from friends or family where people often make it about themselves and they say, they start to become defensive and say, well, I don't have a problem. And you're kind of like, okay, I didn't say you did. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, part of it was time. I mean, I knew that like my parents especially may not have understood, but I knew that they cared about me getting better and living a happy, healthier lifestyle. And if this was part of it, um, eventually I figured they would accept that. I think friends can be hard, especially if you have a group of friends that all values drinking and going out. I think it's so important to find other people that value similar things to you, whether they're sober themselves, whether you, I find like going to, you know, I find the wellness space can be helpful with finding other people who don't drink. Even if you just meet friends at like a yoga class or a candle making class or, you know, um, a bookstore or a coffee shop or something like that, um, I think can be helpful sometimes in finding people who, um, have the same values and who value their health and, maybe they still drink, but they don't, they're not like going out to bars and that's not their whole social life. Um, to be honest, to answer your question about like my experience with friends, I didn't have a lot of friends um, by the time I started or I stopped drinking because I burned so many bridges in my, throughout college and everything like that. Um, so I got to kind of start fresh and create a group of friends that all don't drink and um, are kind of on the same path as me or they're yoga friends. Um, but I really can't advocate enough finding some type of community, um, whether, you know, however you're on this journey. And there's a lot of really great sober communities that are popping up that you can find on Instagram and they have in-person meetups. Um, so I'm really excited about the future potential as this movement is becoming, you know, more widespread. Yeah, I remember when I went through my detox and 
I had my friends telling me that I wasn't fun anymore. You know, yeah. that, I think that's the typical one of, yeah. you're not fun anymore, right? And how do we even go about kind of understanding that? So I was fun when I was drinking and now I'm not, mm-hmm. right? And then also, well, does that mean that I have to drink right. to be fun? Do I have to go back to this drinking? Or is there just a problem with, our group of friends and I might need to let this go. Cause I think that happens sometimes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And something, yeah, I think everyone gets to choose for themselves, but I think that is a pretty common response to that or just feeling like, um, you know, if your ideas of things change too, I mean, I know some people who still like to go to, you know, like to go out and do social things and don't mind having friends who's, social life is really revolved around drinking and stuff like that too. But um, yeah, I think, I think to me, there's so much, I feel so fortunate that I have friends that our relationship isn't hinged on drinking because the friendships are just so much deeper and more meaningful. And um, it's not based on just like laughing at ourselves and doing like wild things. It's based on, you know, what we care about and the conversations we have. Yeah. Would you say that being sober has helped your relationship with your mind and body and kind of being in tune with yourself and your needs? Oh my God. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I really don't think that I would be able to have stayed, uh, in recovery from my eating disorder without my sobriety number one, but I think also, you know, drinking, even if it's just a small amount, does take us out of our bodies. I mean, it shuts down your prefrontal cortex. It Even just one glass of, of, you know, alcohol really impacts your sleep. And that's like one thing people don't know about a lot. It like completely destroys your ability to have REM sleep, which is like the most restful kind of sleep that exists. Um, it also really negatively impacts anxiety because um, it overall after you you know although it's a depressant your body once your body processes it you're left with more cortisol which is a stress hormone so you feel more anxious after you drink um and i think just for me there was such a disconnect when i would go out or i I would drink it would be like okay i'm turning everything off and then you wake up the next morning and then you're left with what did i do and did i am i living life in my values and stuff like that where now it feels really good to, I don't have to worry about making mistakes or like when I'm drunk that I wouldn't do normally or um, not taking care of myself in the way that I would normally because it's just because I'm awake for all of it. I think alcohol use can get, make your life kind of fragmented and disjointed in that way where you care a lot about your health and your mental health during the day, but then you drink at night and it's, it can cause this split like the splitting I guess yeah kind of like a disconnect of who you are you're one person here and then you're this other person yeah over here and I can attest to that REM sleep that you just talked about every time I have a couple of drinks it's like I'm up by like four in the morning it there it does not allow you to sleep and it's it's unbelievable um curious about things from the other side of the world. So if we think about not the addict, but those who are parents, who are partners, who are friends to these individuals that may be struggling with addiction, 
how would we know that somebody is struggling? How can we help them? What do we as supportive and caring family members or friends, what do we do? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's a great question. I think the number one thing is, I think remembering that we can't control or change anyone's behavior. Mm-hmm. So I think often when we come from the place of like, I need to do something, it might end up coming out with like force or um, not really being curious about someone or listening to them. So I think it's super important um, to remember that everyone's entitled to their own experience and listening really first and um, asking them questions, getting curious, offering support, asking them what kind of support they might need. In terms of warning signs, I mean, I think it looks so different and I like hesitate sometimes to come up with warning signs just because to me, the only question we really need to ask ourselves, individually at least, is like, would your life be better if you didn't drink? Like, to me, that's the ultimate question. Like we can take all of these, you know, alcohol use disorder tests online and stuff like that, but there are lots of people who have dysfunctional relationships with alcohol who don't drink every day, who haven't gotten a DUI, who haven't had any of their like life impacted by it, but it's really impacting their mental health and their quality of life. Um, so I think, I think, you know, listening and having compassion for them and offering support where you can um, are kind of like the big things that I always recommend. And remembering, especially if it's someone who's very sick and, you know, it's physically dependent and might need to go to an inpatient program or something like that. Um, Addiction runs in families and people are really impacted by addiction, even if you're not the, you know, identified person in your family. So I'm a big believer in individuals who have that going on, getting their own support, their own therapy, um, because they're going to be impacted by it as well. And often addiction kind of gets passed down through lineage and, you know, cycles. I love how you said that about warning signs because it looks so different on everybody, right? We have this picture of what an addict looks like and it's not a very pretty picture, but we know that it affects so many of us. It looks like you, it looks like me. It looks like that guy in the corner who's got all his shit together and you know, they're struggling and they, again, may not meet all these criteria or all these symptoms, but would their life be better without the alcohol? And that is such an important question to ask ourselves, not just with alcohol, but with, you know, any other substance because. Yeah. I think you can like, would your life be better without dieting? Would your life be better? Uh, The answer to that is yes. (laughs) (laughs) All of these things I think of as I'm just really, I'm a really big believer in looking at like the potential versus you have to stop drinking. You have to stop dieting. You have to stop doing these things. I think it's, it's much more powerful to like enroll people in what's possible. Mm, I really like that. Just kind of thinking, and again, going back to that curiosity, right? So it doesn't have to stick. We just can be curious about it and see if that works and see if that fits and kind of opening up that definition of what an addict is and what it means to be addicted. Yeah. Because sometimes we're not addicted, but Absolutely. we're not okay either. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, I think for people who are like, I don't know, maybe questioning it a little bit, I think too, like you can take it one day, one month, one week at a time. You don't have to call yourself an alcoholic to stop drinking. You don't have to say that you're addicted to stop drinking. You get to choose and look and like go on this discovery for yourself. I mean, try it for 30 days, try it for a few more after that, see how it goes, see how your life improves. Um, and then choose kind of for yourself rather than coming at it from, I think what's a really big barrier for people is it in our current narrative, it's like, you have to call yourself an alcoholic to stop drinking. And that's like, so, like, to me, that's the biggest barrier ever for entry. <laughs> we need to really lower that of just like, like, that's something that people down the road struggle with still. Why is that the step one, you know? Right. Or we have to hit rock bottom to come to that place and have these, you know, life changing experiences of I was at the bottom of the street and I couldn't remember my name. You know, like you hear these really extreme stories and there's like, no, I think there's a lot of steps before we get there, before yeah. having these transformations. Exactly. And that's what like prevention and preventative care looks like is catching, like catching these things earlier. Um, yeah. And we don't have to ride things out until our life falls apart or until we, we hit a rock bottom. I love it. So one of the things that I always like to end on is your favorite form of self-care. It can be fun. It can be, obviously we both know that self-care looks like a ton of different things, not the typical bath bomb and whatever, you know? So you, Amanda, tell me about your favorite self-care. I love to stretch. Okay. <laughs> like a random one, but um, I love to stretch. I love the feeling of stretching in my body because it like puts me really squarely in my body um, because the sensation can be like kind of intense if you stretch, you know, and you get to control it. But um, for me, there's something very meditative about it. I put headphones on and I stretch and do different like um, movements that feel good. Um, and I like candles. But yeah, I, I love to stretch and I want to bring, like, I, I wish more people stretch because I think it's such an accessible, if, you know, you don't have trauma and you can ground yourself, um, way to put yourself in your body. Stretching, stretching is tough for me. It's one of those things, yeah. but I think it has to do with my relationship to exercise mm -hmm. because I always thought that exercise was sweating and burning calories and this is how you do it. So I always associated yeah. it to weight loss. So yeah. stretching was not, or is, you know, it was not in my head weight loss. So why would I spend any time doing anything for my body that wouldn't lead to weight loss? Mm -hmm. And so I never stretched and now I'm like, oh, I really, I really need to. And I really need to get into practice, but maybe I just need to make it into a thing, like an event. Like this is a nice thing that I'm doing for myself. Yeah. I do it like once a week and like, instead of, um, sometimes, you know, if I want to make it a whole event, I'll like take a bath before I stretch too, because it opens you up so much more and makes the stretching sometimes more enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I make it into, I like listen to my favorite music and I just totally zone out. Um, I think it's because of my background, you know, I was, like I said, I was a figure skater, so I've grown up stretching my whole life, um, but I don't stretch with, like, a goal, you know, I just kind of, like, I'm not, like, I need to be able to do this or anything like that, it just feels good and grounding and creates space in your body, it just feels open. 
you, you also do yoga. So that kind of probably goes into that as yeah. well. Makes it a little easier, which I believe you're having a retreat coming up or something is going on. It's coming up in two months. So it'll be April 25th to 30th. Um, and it's in Tulum and it's a yoga and mental health retreat. That sounds fabulous. So we, have, we have a couple spots left. With a lot of stretching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do like myofascial release with tennis balls and stuff like that too. I just, I, I really believe it's a really great way to process your emotions is stretching because you're like, your body holds different things too. Yeah. And if you're stretching on a beautiful beach in Tulum, Mexico, I think that's a pretty nice way to do it as well. But if you can't, you can definitely put on some headphones and do yeah. it. <laughs> I like, I just love how accessible stretching is. It's like, you can, you know, do it anywhere. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing all your wisdom with us and being so candid with your story. I really appreciated talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing more from you and all the things that you have to share with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Maria. This was super fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Mind Meets Body podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit the subscribe button below. If you're looking for more things Holistically Grace, check out my Instagram at Holistically Grace and my website, www.holisticallygrace.com. Please be mindful that the conversations found on the podcast are for educational purposes only. They're not meant to diagnose, treat, or replace the personalized care provided by a trained professional. In fact, it is my hope that these topics encourage you to reach out and seek help. No shame attached. Until next time, friends, stay compassionate.